0: Welcome to the NFT Now podcast, your go to source to succeed in the fast moving world of Web3. I'm Matt Medved. Each week, we interview visionary creators, builders, and collectors so you can stay up to date on the most important trends and tactics for the internet's next frontier. Super excited to close out an amazing first day at the Gateway with our panel on empowering artistry, creating in uncertain times. We have three incredible artists, one of whom is still on the way, proper artist time, you know, but we're going to get it kicked off and he'll make a dramatic entrance soon enough. Uh, we have Emmy Cusano, we have Thank You X, and JN Silva is on the way. While we kick things off, let's start. Emmy, Ryan, please just give us a brief introduction of yourselves and how you got into Web3.
1: Hi, my name is Emik Sano. I'm a multidisciplinary artist based in Tokyo, Japan. I've been exploring retrofuturism and Tokyo pop culture. I've been singing as a sensei pop band musician and I was also a street photographer and I'm a co-founder of Shinsei Galverse, uh, which is a PFE project. We are uh, making anime uh, with an independent studio and most importantly, I'm a um, artist collaborated with AI, and my or, or artwork is up there. Yeah, um, how I got in Web3 is really unique story. Um, back in 2021, uh, my son he was back there, he was eight back then. Um, we were talking about NFT on the dinner table, and he suddenly talked to me, mom, I want to buy a Pokemon card, so I want to start NFT. And I was like, okay. Yeah, I minted my first work on the foundation, um, and then, but, I did, but I didn't know like what is happening. It's just a one-on-one and sold, and I couldn't get to contact with a collector. So um, I was kind of exploring what is NFT back then. And then my son, um, he he's just promptly started to creating all the zombify animal and we saw it on OpenSea and actually Steve Aoki picked three of them with six E's and it went viral in Japan and it has been like a most famous NFT case in Japan and it he actually mass adapted all this blockchain art, so that's how I got. And I started my Shinsei Galbers, the PFP project. Um, my PFP is a um, Sailor Moon meets Akira vibes, very cyberpunk anime. My um, my ideal anime we created uh, so I found co-founder of Shinsei Galvers through my son's artwork my son's collector is actually co-founder so that's how I got into Web 3 World
0: amazing amazing I, lo- I love the story um and i love i love that your your son has been such a uh an active participant and creator in the space get him started early right
1: i know he was featured on the NFT now before me i remember i remember
0: <laughs> when we met you were like you featured my son now let me yeah. show you my work
1: yeah
0: um, i love it i love it ryan uh you've yeah you you've transcended so many different spaces from street art to fine art to embracing web three. Um, tell us a little b- a
2: bit about how you found your journey here I, I just want to add on top of hers that the way we met was because of her son at selling nFTs because Steve Aoki put us all in a group chat together, and that's how we got connected so it's very brown cool. yeah see we don't talk much <laughs> no, um, yeah, so my name is Ryan. I go by the artist name thank you x and um, You know, I'm more known as, like, a traditional artist uh, who adopted Web3 in 2020. Uh, My background is graphic design and creative direction. So in 2020, when I started hearing about NFTs, uh, it threw me back to what was happening in 2017 with CryptoKitties. And I looked at that at the time and I was like, that's so weird. But I understood it. And so when I got this, I was like, oh, it's like that, but with art. And, um, yeah, it's really just been like a, you know... Uh, fast forward for me into the art world, which helped really, uh, elevate what I was already kind of doing for the last decade. And, um, yeah, I guess my, my whole vision for the space for me and my, you know, audience, I guess, is to to bridge the gap between the traditional art world and the, the digital world and, um, make sure that the bridge goes both ways to help, uh, nft artists known as nft artists to bring them into more the traditional physical world and then some of the physical world into like help doing web3 stuff so um yeah and i'm out in korea because i have a solo show at uh boon the shop with uh shenzige and freeze and um also partnering with uh, you guys at, at the galaxy or yeah, well, sorry the gateway
0: we love it. We love it. We are all in the same galaxy, too. Yeah, so. a galaxy. <laughs> no, and everyone should go check out Ryan's show. I'm really, really excited to check Congratulations. this out. Thank you. Yes. Um, amazing, amazing. Well, Emmy, you know, we got to meet at uh, Bright Moments Tokyo, mm-hmm. and that was really special. Um, and I feel like you were like the breakout star of Bright Moments Tokyo. Like, I remember, like, I saw your work and I was like, I think I'm going to pick one up. I go back way too late, you know, already sold out. Um, Story
2: of my whole know, collecting. Right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Seriously. Like, that, that doesn't sum up uh, like wet through in a nutshell um but you know that's really special and and I, and I love that that collection neural fad i full disclosure i am now a collector bought in significantly higher so than, 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 than at the mid price but um and, and it's an amazing series of uh of um ai photography um with like all these throwback vibes, and and you know, it's really it's like uh, inspired by Japanese street style, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I would just love to hear like you're really like forging a path, um, you know, in AI art. There, what what is like? What, what are you seeing in terms of development of AI art, AI photography in Japan, in the APAC region, and at large?
1: Um, thank you for th- first of all thank you for collecting my art I really appreciate it it's been so amazing journey to using my prompting to create something I always wanted to like if, if you look my music career I dress up like an 80s idol and singing about new latest technology so yeah search Sat La Yang, my band I look like my AI art as well so um, speaking about about the um, AI scene in Japan. I think um, Japanese people. Um, I'm not sure if it's uh, all Asian um, c- countries are same perspective, but in Japan, in general uh, people are really uh, pro AI and really friendly to uh, technology. I'm also a cultural council member uh, in go- Japanese government talking about the intellectual property role about about AI, um, but people are really optimistic about. How do we utilize this tool? So there's not many backlash. Of course, there are some of them, but there's not many backlash compared to the Western world. I think because of um, the anime we watch, grew up as like robots are always friends, not like a Terminator view. So yeah. So and also uh, if I talk about NFT, um, Japanese people are. Optimistic about NFT. Um, they don't have a like general image. Like Zombie Zoo, my son's art is famous. Then you know, um, like brood tape PFE in Japan. So many people have an image. Oh, NFT is a, like you can sell your art like a free market. <laughs> so which is really good thing. So Japan has a huge fun art culture and they're doing like Comic Con like every, every day. So we have an image. Oh, Comic Con every day all around the world. So I'm very bullish on Um, like Asian culture, anime culture with um, NFTs and AI.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. You and me both. I'd love to jump up because I've come out to, this is my third time in Korea this year. And uh, what I noticed about when I came out here was the energy around Web3. And so it's not necessarily just on AI, but like it's different. Like the word NFT is not a bad word here. It's Mm -hmm. like, whereas like in America, it's kind of like, okay, what's this? You know, Um, but here I feel like it's a new time and it's like a very, it's more thoughtful, like the process of it. And so I feel like it's, it's a new energy here. And that's what kept coming, kept me coming back. I was like, there's something special in Korea. Um, so for first Korea specifically, that's the energy that I've felt in like kind of ingraining myself into the web three culture here and meeting a lot of artists and companies. That's kind of what I felt. So, Yeah. I love that. I love that observation. And you, you're you tend to be a pioneer. You know what I mean? Like you,
0: you've minted on multiple blockchains. You've collaborated with the likes of Hans Zimmer. You know, transcending art into with music and the like. You recently sent your art to space. No big deal. Um, hey, let's let, let's just dive into that a
2: little bit. Like, tell us a little okay. about sending your art to space, and then I have some more questions. Yeah. So, the conversation happened because. Uh, I was talking to someone and they were asking me about, um, they had heard that Elon Musk had bought a painting from mine, uh, a painting of mine in 2017 or something. And when he bought the piece, I was like, Hey, can we send a pace uh, a piece to space sometime? And they were like, yeah, no. And so like, that was just like an instant <laughs> no from SpaceX. And, and I was like, oh, okay, fine. And, um. So I was telling someone the story and they were like, would you still want to send your painting to space? And I had no idea who this person was I was talking to. I was actually at freeze LA. Um, and we had a mutual friend and I just met this woman and she was like asking about my art. And then I told her I love space. And you know, I, I pitched this idea to Elon and they said no. And, um, and then she's like, would you still want to do that? I was like, yeah. And then she starts texting. And, um, I was like, I don't idea what's going on, but, um, she's like, okay, can you have it ready by tomorrow? And I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, I work with a company called Axiom Space. And uh, we're setting a launch up. And we didn't secure an artist. And hearing what you're doing and knowing your art, I would love to send your artwork to space. And can you ship it out tomorrow? And I was like, yes, I can. And so I I shipped out. um, It had to be a specific size, a 14-inch by 14-inch painting. And um, yeah, it went up to space on the Axiom 2 mission and um, it was actually like the first Saudi woman in space, uh, so that was like a big element of like you know achievement. And it stayed up in space for nine days. It orbited the Earth 135 times. I have like all these cool statistics to go with it. Um, I did not. I chose actively to not mint it and just it be a physical piece because I I felt like not everything needs to be an NFT. And I think that's an important thing to notice and realize. Like at least for someone like me, who's a painter a lot. Um, not everything needs to be an NFT. And I felt like this didn't necessarily need to be an NFT. Um, let's just do this something. And then, um, yeah, so it came back down and, um, we got it, we framed it and we auctioned it off at Sotheby's auction house in New York. And it was a beautiful, beautiful moment for me, like huge in my career. Um, my son is two years old and he watched the landing alive on, like when it came back and I have video of him watching, he has no idea what it is, but he's just like, Oh, i like, um, but in the future I'll show him that. And I'll be like, you watched the landing of my painting coming back down from space, like, you know, in the capsule with the astronauts coming out and like bringing the boxes out. So it's a very special moment and like, like very highlight of my career. Um, Yeah. Very special. That's incredibly special. I I love that. I love that. Oh, and Um, I got to go to Florida in in America and see the launch of it actually go to space too, which was an amazing experience as well. Did it take off on the first launch or were there any scrap? So when you go to a launch, they say it could be pushed back another day or two days or hours and this one it was flawless and i my schedule i had to be back like there was all these things that i was like if it doesn't happen today i'm gonna miss it and i was so worried and it happened exactly how it was planned and it was perfect and everything went great i love that i love that um
0: it's incredibly special incredibly special um well Obviously, this we we are talking also about creating it uncertain certain times. Not everything goes quite as flawlessly all yes. the time as, as the space launch. Um, Obviously, it's been it's been a it's been a tough year. It's been a tough a tough few months, just in general, for the creative community, right? Um, we are in the depths of oh, there he is, there he is, ladies and gentlemen. Please <laughs> welcome the, the star oh, of the hour, Jan, Jan. Silva. Jan. Silva, make some noise. <laughs> Hello, friends. Sorry. No worries. No worries. artist time. It's okay. This is actually the very on brand for the panel. Yeah. No, it's... Jan. Before we dive into this question, give everyone just a, a brief introduction to yourself and how you got into Web3.
3: Yeah, amazing, so my name is Jay and Silva. I've been a photographer and artist for about 20, 25 years now. Uh, Before Web3, I was a full-time commercial photographer and videographer, cinematographer. Uh, Worked on a lot of video productions and photography campaigns and such. Got into Web3 in 2017. Uh, I'm Venezuelan, so Bitcoin made a lot of sense to me as a hedge against hyperinflation. And in 2020, when the pandemic uh, hit, I lost all of my work. And I said, well, you know, I I know crypto, I can do crypto from home. And I started seeing the NFT conversation kind of like popping up really early in 2020. And I was like, this makes perfect sense for me. And I, I dove right in. Amazing. Amazing. Well, I would also like to add, please, that uh, in
2: 2020, I got introduced to Jay and Silva before either of us had actually minted an NFT. And we were fans of each other's work. And both of our first NFTs was a collaboration together that we entered the space together. So it's a very special thing that we, we have a special bond because we came into the space together at a very like crucial time, you know, for us in the space. So yeah.
3: Yeah, absolutely. We're forever bonded by the first collaborations that that we Bonded on the with. blockchain. Yes. <laughs> Full disclosure: I am a
0: collector of this uh, collection. <laughs> as okay, well. so you're, now you're seeing this. No, <laughs> um, no, incredibly special, and um, we'll we'll dive more into that time too. I would also know. like yeah. to add
2: that he's humble, and photography in NFTs was not a thing at the time. That's part of the exactly. reasons we did work together. There was at the time we were looking at the space together and in a telegram group chat talking to each other every single day, monitoring every single site, being like, we don't really fit in here. Like I'm a fine artist and you know, I'm a photographer. Where is our thing? And I wasn't seeing that and you weren't seeing that. And so we were like, well, like literally we were like, well, let's fail together. Cause yeah. like either we're not wanted here or not accepted, like whatever. And so we were like, well, why don't we try this together? and see if... And then that's how it ended up working out for us. Because without Jay and Silva, photography is not what it is in NFTs. He onboarded the most amount of photographers than anyone. And he was just... Played such a pivotal role in onboarding, not just artists, but like specifically photographers and um, has built a community and helped just uplift so many people. So shout out to Jay and Silva for life. Give it up for Jay. Thank
0: you. Thank you. You, I mean... You know, like I, I'm thinking back to that time and, you know, I think I, I connected with both of you on Clubhouse before, before we ever got to hang out in the flesh, before we yeah. ever became friends. And that's such a really, that's a really special, a really special time, a really special bond, right? We were just talking about the yeah. Clubhouse days
3: yeah. backstage.
0: Yeah. Like how it was just a different time. Yeah. It was. So let's talk about the time we're in now, too. So as we said, this is also about creating in uncertain times. Right as JN was entering, I was saying, you know, it has been a challenging past year for the creative community. Um, Obviously, we're in the depths of a bear market. Um, I'm curious, like, how do you, how do each of you, sort of stay grounded and stay creative in these sort of like volatile times, uncertain times, and um, and uh, you know remain kind of
2: focused on your craft and pushing it forward? I'm happy to jump in. So like for me, when I started doing art as a kid and then more seriously as a teenager, and then even more seriously as an adult, it was always a thing that I did because I had to do it. Cause I'm an artist, not because there was a financial incentive behind it. So whether there's a bear market or a bull market, like my concept is to create based on what I want to create. And I think the the financial element was like after the creation was made or, you know, or the concept was made to then how do I get this out there or do I put this out there even? So um, I think that given it's a bear market, um, it's just about continuing to create and it's actually possibly, this might be a hot take, but it's probably the best time to create in a very organic way because you're not doing it for the dollar sign. You're doing it because you have to and you want to. Um, And then later it can be, something that grows and becomes something bigger that you didn't expect. Um, and I think that you're going to see the people that are creating right now are the people who are the true people, like the purest people, because there's not necessarily this like huge number sign or dollar sign connected to with what you're doing. So for me, I'm still creating. I think it's just about being more thoughtful and less like put out product, put out product, put out product and more just like why am I putting out product and how can I tell a better story? Maybe do it a little bit less. Um, certainly not stopping creating in any way, though.
1: I really resonate your answer. Um, I think um, because of the bear market, uh, people who love still creating is remain. Like All the short-term cash grabber is gone, so... Which is a good thing. Yeah, I would create something like even if it's an, there's an NFT or not. Like I've been creating like retro futuristic vibes, music and photography. So just keep creating is very important. Also at the same time, I'm really um, I, I I think it's important to leveraging your like rare traits. Um, if you think about like w- what card do you have um, you're really are in AI you have a peer-free project or do you have a older card and just try leveraging um, like which field uh, we should go, and like for example, uh, Shinsei Galvers uh, was a really groundbreaking uh, PFP project. Uh, I think uh, many of Japanese people know about Shinsei Galvers because of, uh, because we hit the number one open sea. Uh, So. We can say it's big in Japan and also many of the anime PFE projects are actually not really making anime. So we can say, oh it's the first handcraft anime studio based in Japan. So I, yeah I wouldn't I, I, I usually don't say about that tactic stuff in front of people, but it's very important. So what's your rarity trace? You you guys have a everyone has a rarity trace, like if you compare like some of them. I think I'm the only Japanese speaker in this room, or something like that. I am the NFT mom. Maybe I'm a NFT mom, but I do AI. And Shout
2: out to all NFT yeah, moms. Oh, yes. NFT <laughs> yes.
1: mom. So yeah, it's important to leveraging your strongest. Like if you think yeah, if you just look yourself subjectively, like you you everyone has a super rare super rare trait. Bit
0: I love that, I love yeah. that j n love love to hear your perspective as
3: well yeah, no, I agree with uh, both of them here, and I think. A lot of artists, if you're a true artist, you've been creating just because you love, you know, the art of creation. And I personally have been broke most of my life and I still created it throughout it. You know, so for me, the it's not about the financial incentive ever. It's it's more about just getting what I have in here, all these feelings and emotions and getting it out into out into the world. And the art, you know, the, the fact that I do that, that's the end product for me. Whatever happens after that, it's almost just like an addition. And if anything, I'd say that Creating in a market like this is actually a little bit easier because you get to tune out all of the noise, right? Like in twenty twenty one, when everything was going crazy, you felt like you had to be on your computer, you had to be paying attention because you might miss out on the next mint that was happening or the next project that was out. And now it's a little bit quieter, and you get to really hone in on your craft and create. And you know, it's, it's all about managing and adjusting your expectations. You're not gonna, you know, as he said, you're you're not gonna be putting out a new project every month month and trying to extract value uh, from from the people and the collectors it's more about being intentional with whatever you're making and understanding that it may be a little more drawn out but the people that are here the ones that really care about you know what we're we're, we're building and you know you, you cater to that and play to your strengths
0: absolutely absolutely i love that i, I like effect. playing
3: to your strengths that's a good one and like Agreed. building on and you
2: like what you're saying is kind of try new things well yeah. like experiment
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, You know, I I think that one of the things that that drew a lot of artists to the Web3 space, the NFT space, was the promise of creator royalties. And that has obviously been a a topic, a major topic of conversation, um, especially in light of the rise of marketplaces like Blur, the changes in open-seas policy. Ryan, I know you've been a very vocal advocate of, of creator royalties. I'm curious, like, what are, what are your thoughts on, like, the current climate? And, um, you know, how how do we, like, and how does that impact sort of um, the value proposition for new artists to really enter and embrace the space?
2: Yeah. I'm trying to be, like, a little political with this one, but I would say that... Yeah, real! <laughs> I mean... Ryan's a real one. We know it. <laughs> I, no, I'm not going to say it. Uh, no, I, uh, I think that it's, it goes back to what you're saying about extracting. And I think that marketplaces had this situation where them as a business, they saw themselves, uh, maybe overspending and, and not preparing for market fluctuation and they maybe overhired, overspent all this stuff. So now they have to play catch up with what's happening in the market. They, they aren't as liquid and they can't, um, Sorry, not as fluid, so they can't just, like, adjust really quick. They're a little slower to move, so they see a new marketplace come up, and they're changing things and doing things different, and now this the biggest uh, marketplace is now maybe losing market share, and now they have to chase instead of innovate and be the one that was chased. So um, I think it goes – to be honest, I think it's, like, what happened was poor planning from one of the marketplaces, and – Opportunity from the other marketplace, and I think both of those uh, are looked at. They're they're both a business, so neither of them are, are individuals or people or humans. They are uh, corporations backed by bigger corporations. So when they look at artists or creators, they don't look at humans. They look at stats and they look at numbers and they look compare it to their numbers. So when they decide to turn off the royalty. They have no feeling because they're looking at it from a number like binary ones and zeros and like bank numbers, blah, blah, blah. And the artists, the reason this space exists is because of humans and feelings and creatives and realness and authenticness, not based on corporations. And so I think somewhere it got lost along the way. Obviously, code is law and I understand that. However, um, I think certain marketplaces... um, maybe didn't have like a duty but had kind of like a social yeah like I don't know yeah kind of like where they they had the opportunity to do something that could forever be ingrained in the space and help the space like long long term as opposed to looking like we need to act right now to catch up to this new marketplace and Make sure that we don't sink, and da da da. But in that process, I think what's going to happen is the big ship that um, kind of started it all—they're chasing. But what's happened is now they've turned their backs on the creators who are the only ones keeping them afloat in this market. So once the creators turn their back on that platform, they'll sink in the long term. As opposed to like making a stance. I get it; their business. So. I look at them as a business, they look at me as a number or something. You know. So um, I was led to believe in the space to come in and get creator royalties. To be fair, the way that we entered the space was through a platform called Nifty Gateway. And Nifty Gateway to this day still honors creator royalties. They maybe take a higher uh, platform fee, which um, could be adjusted I think in this market maybe. But I think there's something to be said about these marketplaces like Foundation, like Rarible, Nifty Gateway, um, and several others that have decided we are going to take a stand and we are going to honor creator royalties on this platform. And for me, that's powerful. And um, I've become a level where I don't have to rely on a marketplace anymore. I can do it on my own contract. Um, So I think in the future, what will happen is if you are able to get past the kind of if you're able to have your own audience and draw it on your own platform, that will be the way. And um, like you're looking at like what Jen Stark just recently did, where she launched her own marketplace, where there's, you know, you can kind of her future stuff will only be able to be there, you know. So, um, which I don't think is necessarily the the ethos of the blockchain, and I want it to be more of an open, decentralized spot. So it's kind of you know, I unfortunately think that there's not much we can do i'm i'm just an artist a person and I'm. Um, you know i fought the fought i lost you know or we lost i tried to do the right thing but it only helped a little bit and then yeah so yeah that's all i got well give it give it up for ryan for fighting the good fight i tried
1: yeah, when I first I know about um, this royalty, I thought it was feature of Ethereum because I didn't know about blockchain that much. So, and many of um, uh, I think many of the beginner has a misconception. Oh, NFT is very innovative. You can just uh, contribute to the artist with a royalty. So. I feel like this uh royalty going on uh, are really I feel like we are um, going back so yeah it's really sad and it's been really amazing. Um, many of the uh, independent artists' friends uh, could—they uh, don't have to do um, client work anymore because of the royalty. So it's very important. Um, uh, I think it's very important. Um, but um, most innovative part of NFT is we, we used we, we had a token um, from a long time ago, and we have a meme coin and uh, all the shit coin, and but. Um, uh, I think the most innovative part is um, connecting the philosophy. We are supporting artists, so that culture is really important. Like even though um, they stop royalties, um, depends on the market, but it's important to have you know uh, foster that culture. We are uh, supporting each other. We are supporting artists, so. I think, yeah, that's my role to do it because I can't uh, can't really make a system or uh, marketplace uh, yet, uh, like a gen. But, yeah, I would like to spread this culture.
0: Absolutely, absolutely.
2: One thing I do want to add is that I think that what happened is there's a difference forever. There's been a difference between, like, big collections and then... Like, you know, like PFP projects even, and then, like, individual artists. And I think at some point along the way, there's going to be a separation. Because right now you're selling Pokemon cards and you're selling Picassos on the same marketplace. True. And that doesn't happen mm. generally. Like, you don't go to a, an art gallery and see a Pokemon card and a Picasso. So I think at some point that will separate, and one will be called one thing and the other thing will be called another thing. So um, that, I think, too, the decisions were made based on the Pokemon cards, the the PFPs and the big volume things. But what it's actually hurting is like the independent artists. And to be honest, like the people who are hurt most are like the marginalized artists.
0: Absolutely. And like Ryan, as you, as you rightfully point out, like Jan, you've brought so many, uh, photographers and artists into the space. And I know that creator royalties was a part of the draw for many of those. Like, I'm curious to hear your perspective and, and how, like, how are those artists kind of faring and navigating this sort of change in the landscape?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's unfortunate that, you know, it became a race to the bottom instead of a a race to the top, right? And once, you know, the one marketplace came out and and decided to do away with it, and even, you know, they made uh, NFTs, when it displays on their page, it just shows up as as like a title. And it, it almost became just like tokens and, and tradable, you know, it became more about the, the trading financial aspect of it and not about the art. And from there, you know, as, as Ryan said, I'll say the name, OpenSea had the chance to, <laughs> the chance to side with creators and if they would have done so, uh, we would have, you know, come together and made a huge push for them. And instead, they just kind of like turned their back on us and at the end of the day, it's her you know, it's her everyone. And I think, you know, one of the really cool things when I entered the space was, you know, we were figuring out how to keep our projects going on secondary markets, and we had all these innovative, you know, ways to to keep collectors uh, kind of entertained and just keep giving them back in order to incentivize the secondary market trading. And once you do away with royalties for any project, then that doesn't become you know an incentive anymore. It's like, well, if, if why would I work super hard to keep this project going if it's not going to benefit the artist at all, right? So. From there, I think a lot of artists have now just kind of decided to keep creating with the primary market in mind and not so much building out these longer term projects. and you know it's unfortunate that it hurts even the the longer you know or the PFP projects, it hurts them because a lot of them were relying on royalties to host all of these amazing events that we would have at the conferences. A lot of them were funded you know or paying their staff. A lot of those were funded by royalties and, and when you take that out of the way, you know the runway for the projects just gets decimated, and there's no way to keep them going. So again, it goes back to then having to come out with other primary collections and keep extracting value instead of creating value. And, and I think at the end of the day, it hurts us. Uh, but I have kind of you know faith uh, that developers will find a way to create a new token standard at some point that you know will enforce the royalties. And when that happens, I think we'll all move back because for a lot of us. That was a big draw to enter the space, was, was the ethos of you know getting to have your work live on. And you know whenever it, it passed hands, you, you got a little cut of it back. Uh, but I, I think we'll figure it out. As always, artists are always adapting uh, to the uncertainty. And whether it's unfortunate, but I think we'll be OK. Also, keep in mind, the collectors go where you post the link
2: to. Mm-hmm. So as soon as we stop posting the link to that website, our collectors don't go there. They're not going to the website and just randomly scrolling around. They're following what we post and what our links are. So if we post a different link, they're going to go, they're just going to follow the link. So that's where the power really lies. And it goes back to the web three ethos, which is power to the creators. Absolutely. And part of that Web3 resource
0: is also a more direct relationship between artists and collectors, right? Um, Without some of the intermediaries that have existed for a long time in the traditional art world. I'm curious, like, what's the, what's kind of like the state of the union there? Like, how, how, like, tell us a little bit bit about how, um, you know, you create and maintain um, a collector
2: base uh, for your work. I have an interesting, so I'm, I mean, I have a a show down, you know, down the street right now, and my works sold last night and I don't know who bought them. I know one, but like, I don't know the other ones yet. Where so like, it's a little di- different than how it works in web three. We're like the ethos. And it's not like, not always sometimes it's an anonymous person, but like the ethos is they'll send you a DM or you'll see the, on the blockchain, like who bought it. And you're like, Oh wow. And there Twitter's connected to the thing, you know? So, um, yeah, it's interesting. It's like a fully disconnect from the traditional art world. Generally, uh, but because I've learned in this space to be able to clinic, connect directly with your collectors, um, like in my contract with this gallery, and they're an amazing gallery, and they were like fully on board, and they, they actually embraced the Web3 ethos as well. And in the contract, it says like, there's full transparency of who buys the piece. So at the end, we get like a full breakdown of who buys the pieces, their contact info. And it's not to say that I'm going to start going around the gallery to just cut them out. But like, the transparency still needs to be there because there still could, like there can be an organic relationship. And so, yeah, but that's like one of my favorite things about Web3. Look, there's two different kinds of collectors that I have. It's either purely transactional and I don't know who you are and that's cool. You like my work and then I don't see you or meet you. And there's people who I've become like very good friends with. And I'm not going to get along with every collector and have the same connections, but there are some who I've become like insanely close with and they'll never buy another artwork from me again and I'm not trying to sell them something but we connected through this thing and I'll forever be grateful. And it's like, you know, flourished into like a beautiful friendship. I love that. I love that. Emmy, love to
0: hear your thoughts.
1: I think um, that's a good question. And I think um, owning NFT art is like really different from owning physical art. Um, I think um, all the collectors are um, part of my creative process. So if you have a philosophy, um, that NFT can be the, um, I'm aligned with that philosophy. So it's really amazing to um, connect a collector all over the world and especially um, people living in um, not living in New York or London or Paris, it's hard to get in successful in art world. But I'm living in Japan and like I'm creating from small apartment in Tokyo, but I'm, collected, I'm connected with uh, all those collectors all over the world. And I have a show in Korea and right now you need London and Christie's. So it's been amazing to, um, you know, you can see that all the connections uh, with collectors and this really feels special. And also uh, my Shinsei Galvers, my uh, anime collection, all the holders has a um, like identity with this Galvers PFP. And they're really part of the process of creating anime. So they are actually the creator of our art so so it's it's been really amazing journey
0: amazing and jn i know you've been working on this uh buscando america project um that is uh i know you've, you've put your heart and soul into it um tell us a little bit about that and i think we also i think we have the trailer we can we can queue up afterwards as well um but to tell us walk
3: us through it yeah, so I think for me, you know, when when I got invited to this panel, that was the immediate thing that came up to mind, because for us, Buscando America is a long-term project that we started working on really in 2020, and, you know, it, it's the idea is to fundraise for a full-length uh, fiction film via Web3 and create this visual ecosystem that spans, you know, from we shot a documentary in Colombia in 2021 that we just released this year, uh, we just finished work on a short film this year, and the vision is a multi-year vision, so we can't think in terms of market cycles. But obviously, as we're you know, navigating these waters, we have to adapt to, to the market cycles. And, you know, we we shot the collection in March of 2020. We uh, The whole project takes place in Colombia and Medellin. So we went over there and we did a whole canvassing of the city. We went to every commune, every every neighborhood, and we interviewed people from all walks of life. And that's what the documentary is about. The documentary is called Idiosyncrasia, Idiosyncrasy. Uh, if you put idiosyncrasy uh, on YouTube, you, you should see it come up. And... You know, the, the idea was to come out with a a collection from the location scouting and character scouting, and have that fund the full length feature. Uh, you know, with the editing of a documentary. You know, editing takes a really long time, and it took it took us about eight months to edit it. And by the time it came out, and we launched the collection, uh, you know, it was right in the middle of the worst market conditions, and we only minted out about twenty percent of the collection. And we had this decision where we were like, you know, we raised all this money. We don't have enough for a full-length feature. We have to do something. We can't just like not stop work on everything. We you know we made a promise to all, all the holders and people that supported. So we pivoted and we wrote a script for a short film because we said you know we we can't make a, an hour and a half movie, but maybe we can make a twenty-minute short film. And we used all those funds to rewrite a whole new script and you know do pre-production. And just two weeks ago, we shot you know the short film for two weeks in in Medellin and, you know, the funds that we got from this project uh, paid for a crew of 100 people and, and, you know, being down there and having all of these people that were professionals in their craft come up to us and say, hey, this culturally means so much to us to be able to be part uh, of a, you know, genuine production that takes place in Medellin with people from Colombia, uh, you know, that is fully funded independently, not by major corporations or major backers that then demand a whole bunch of the creative control uh, meant a lot to them. And that for me was like the most gratifying experience to have people that, you know, and all of them were like, I don't know what Web3 is, but thank you, Web3, because you paid for this amazing project. Uh, And that to us was, you know, the, the most satisfying thing. And it just you know helps us kind of like get the energy to, to keep going and right now you know we just finished uh, the first draft of the short film and we submitted it to a, a lot of film festivals so the hope is to get it into film festivals uh, and keep working on collections we've done you know uh, lidar scans of all the locations we did we did we did scans of all the characters uh, and we're hoping to you know hopefully one day sell out the original collection which is 2500 1 of 1 photos and that will keep funding the ecosystem but yeah we have a documentary on YouTube. We have the short film coming. Uh, we just did a collaboration with a very prominent Ooh, uh, streetwear brand in Medellin, and, and yeah, we're just gonna keep going regardless of market conditions because it's a it's a long term vision that we have. And yeah, we have a, a little trailer that has a little bit of the short film, a little bit of the documentary. Uh, we've been featured all over South America in the news outlets because you know it's a it's a new way of fundraising for independent filmmakers, and the trailer has a little bit of everything. So let's get it. Let's get that. I highly
2: support people uh, or suggest people go just check out the project and if you feel inclined to, to perhaps mint an NFT, because I, I bought some at the original mint, but I'll be honest, I just bought it because I love you. And I was just like, I, I was so busy. I'm like, yeah, hey, yeah, I'm buying Jane's thing. Okay, I, I can't pay attention. But just recently when I dove back into it, I was like, this is such an amazing project and like seeing just all the elements of it. And I just went and like bought a bunch of them and I'm just, I, I was moved by it. It's a very powerful thing what you're doing. And I just, you know, don't mint, do mint, whatever, but like at least go check out the project because it's a very powerful project and I think could be like a potential like path for a lot of people moving forward.
3: Thank you. Yeah. I think for us, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a few projects that are making films and and making kind of like longer form, uh, video projects funded by web three. But, you know, we all support each other. The film three community is is also very tight knit. And my idea is, you know, this, the first film or short that makes it to a festival that makes it onto a major platform, like a Netflix or an HBO max. And then you say, Oh, this was all funded by NFTs and web three. That would be like a huge shift for filmmakers anywhere because, you know, there are so many people all over the world with incredible ideas uh, for, you know, scripts and, and, and movies and shows, uh, but they have to go through the traditional film route and, you know, look at what's going on in Hollywood right now. You know, there's all these strikes uh, because it, it's the financial structure of filmmaking is very unfair. And if we can use something like, you know, decentralized, you uh, you know, platform or, or structure to fundraise, will get a lot more artists making the stuff they want to make. And I think that's important. And there's a lot of stories that, are, that need to be told, especially from, you know, marginalized communities and countries. I believe that that is
0: our time. I wish that I could do a whole other hour with all three of you, but thank you so much for being a part of this. Give it up for all of our incredible artists. Thank you guys thank so you much. Thank much. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: If you enjoyed this episode and want to dig in a little deeper on what we're building at nFT now, please check out the Now pass and the Now network. We're building the future of tokenized media and would love for you to be a part of it. You can learn more at nowpass.xyz and you can hop in our discord at discord.gg/nftnow uh, to connect with the community. Thank you again for listening to the NFT Now podcast and we'll see you again this time next week.